0: This is The Cable. How much retail ownership is in stock?
1: Tech story is front and center. What
0: will this wind up doing to the cost curve? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action.
1: A significant sell-off in European assets. It
0: feels like a lot of these stocks have already priced that in.
1: This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable with Guy
0: Johnson and Alex Steele. Behavioral challenges from the pandemic could linger for years on Bloomberg Radio.
1: Good evening. Welcome. You're listening to The Cable. We are live on DAB Digital Radio. It is Friday, January the 20th seventh. Um, We have much to talk about throughout the rest of the show. I'm Guy Johnson in London. Alex Steele, of course, is over in New York. Uh, It's been a bumpy week thus far. We've had plenty of corporate news that we've had to digest. Uh, We go into next week thinking, though, about what is happening with central banks. Bank of England, uh, ECB and the Fed, of course, on deck next week. Uh, The market has plenty to think about. In terms of the price action today, FTSE 100, fairly flat at the close, seventy-seven sixty-five. Year-to-date, we're now up by 4.21%. That is eclipsed by the DAX, of course, which is up by 8.81%. But what we've actually seen over the last couple of days is a NASDAQ that has come roaring back, Alex. Uh, And today it's up by another 7 tenths of 1%.
0: Yeah, honestly, after Intel's terrible numbers, I would not have expected that to be the case. The stocks index is still lower. But it feels like the market finally wound up digesting the Intel news as an Intel-specific thing, and therefore tech gets a relief rally. I should point out the Tesla's also up something like twenty percent in two days. Just putting two that days. out there. Two days,
1: yeah, it's up I by mean, more than fifty percent off its year lows, which is, uh, considering it's only January the 27th, is pretty incredible.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, Overall, we also had some, I'll say positive economic data here in the U.S., in prices easing, spending slowing, incomes a bit higher, the UMish numbers also coming in a bit better. So like all of that sort of helping uh, the sentiment, I I sound still skeptical because you know me, I am Debbie Downer.
1: I, I, we haven't used that enough. No, today.
0: but it's true. I, we, we, I know you're all the macro next week, but I'm all yep. the tech earnings. And I just, I, I feel like there is definitely uh, a risk there. And you can make the argument that the reason why tech is having a nice run is because of Tesla. It's still 3% of the index. So it's still, in some ways, an idiosyncratic move.
1: Yep. no, I, I yeah. If you strip out Tesla, it certainly doesn't look quite as clever. Um, we'll come back. We'll talk more about what is happening this week, next week, in just a moment. Uh, let's get the uh, uh, the session set up. Though here's Charlie Pellet. I uh, thank
2: on. you very much, Guy Johnson. Here's what's going on. The UK is set to take in a quarter of a million more foreign nationals over the next four years than previously thought, providing a potential boost for the economy. Projections from the Office for National Statistics show officials now expect net migration to be higher. Now, between now and 2026, with the number settling at 245,000 a year thereafter rather than the 205,000 estimated a year ago. Perala-Weinberg Partners' London headquarters were searched this week as part of a German insider trading investigation. The investment bank was searched by officials on January 25th. Frankfurt prosecutors are looking into allegations that a London-based employee at the bank disclosed information on planned takeovers and other suspects traded on that information, this according to sources. Chancellor of the Exchequer Jeremy Hunt says the government's flagship high-speed rail line will extend into central London. London, dismissing a report that it would end in the suburbs to cut costs, Hunt says he's not seen "quote any conceivable circumstances in which it would not end up at Euston." Hunt's remarks to the BBC came after making a speech at Bloomberg's European headquarters in London. That is the latest from the news desk. Guy Johnson, back to you now in London. Charlie, thank you very much
1: indeed. Charlie Pellet joining us. Uh, he didn't just talk to the BBC. Given the fact that he was here in our building, we felt it only necessary that we should also have a little bit of a conversation uh, with the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Um, And Jeremy Hunt was very firm. He was dismissing calls for tax cuts. He also pushed back against what everybody else seems to be getting very excited about, energy subsidies. He spoke to the one and only Anna Edwards.
3: At the moment, we don't have the headroom for major tax cuts. But if I was going to prioritise where I would like to see tax cuts, um, it would be... Business tax cuts that give us, as I said in the speech, uh, uh, even more competitive tax rates. It's important to say, Anna, we have the second lowest business taxes as a proportion of GDP amongst major countries. So the UK Mm. uh, is already very competitive, um, but we want to do better.
4: The truth, though, in recent years is that investment has been lagging behind the G7 average, and not just the G7 average, but all members of the G7. So what can you do to try and close that gap? You've ruled out big tax cuts, so what are the levers that you would look to be pulling?
3: If we become the most productive, as well as the most entrepreneurial country in Europe, I think we're already the most entrepreneurial, but this would make us the most productive, then I think that will make a very compelling case for investment. And that's why um, I outlined the plan. I think we've got a very exciting vision. I think we have the opportunity with our universities, our financial services, and our technology strengths, to be a Silicon Valley.
4: The US obviously worried about inflation there. They brought in their Inflation Reduction Act. Big subsidies in some shape or form for various industries there. You've said this morning that some elements of that policy worry you. Your colleague Grant Shapps described the policy as dangerous. What is it that worries the UK government about this policy?
3: Well, we think that if we're gonna have the transition to net zero, um, we should uh, benefit from free and open trade, Uh, between all the countries that share that ambition, because that will mean we'll get there more quickly, uh, more cost-effectively than if we go it alone. Um, So we do have concerns, but we're also very optimistic that the UK will play a leading role in that clean energy transformation. Um, We get 40% of our electricity from renewables. Uh, We are second largest in Europe, the largest when it comes to offshore wind.
4: Will we do our own subsidies, though?
3: Well, um, we will announce our plans. I have absolutely no doubt that we will be able to present a package that makes us highly competitive. Um, but I don't think subsidy is necessarily the best way. I think what people want is creativity, innovation, mm. ideas, a climate, uh, a regulatory structure that encourages investment.
1: Jeremy Hunt, Chancellor Dick Strecker, speaking to Andrew Edwards a little bit earlier on today. Joining us now, uh, UK Economy Report, Philip Aldrich. I'm really struggling with what I heard. Then mm. th- th- there's nothing there. This was an empty speech. A lot of people have highlighted that that, that was the E that we should have been talking about here. Mm. Th- th- he has nothing. If I'm a businessman thinking of investing in the UK, what would I have heard as a result of what Jeremy Jeremy Hunt said today?
5: You, yeah. There's there there wasn't any policy that you can pin your um, hopes to. There there was a there is. All the basically, what the government is grappling with is the fact that we are struggling with the public finances. We've got this, we've still got this hangover from last year's sort of chaos during the Liz Truss premiership, um, and. Well, uh, there is, there really is no money left. the 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 budget for Response, office for budget responsibility has told the treasury that they are going to lower the potential growth output for the UK. So he's talking about wanting to see a big increase in productivity. The OBR has just told him that it's effectively lowered our potential growth rate. Um, so uh, he's just hearing uh, lots of bad news, and all he can offer is like, we're going to have stability. We're going to tackle number one problem today, which is mm-hmm. inflation, um, and we're and we're laser focused on that. And you know, you can. You know, gov- government will eventually. They, he said we want to be a party of low taxes, and when you know the economy comes under control, if we can ha- offer a pe- uh, spending restraint, he said that. Then you know, then we'll cut taxes. So he says, believe in us rather than Labour, which never cuts taxes. As,
0: Here's as what he I don't said. get: Don't companies want subsidies? I mean, the whole point. The reason why it's difficult for the energy transition is because a lot of these projects just don't make economic sense yet. Carbon capture, hydrogen, etc. You need the subsidies. Like you absolutely need the subsidies.
5: Yeah, that, I mean, it, it, a lot of these early stage technologies do not. They they just there's no commercial viability without the subsidy subsidies there. Which it just is,
0: felt like he ruled it out and I don't yeah, know why. Which is,
5: so there is an interesting thing here where the UK talks a lot about its green uh, you know how much of a green success we have been and we absolutely have been in terms of the in terms of renewable energy. The amount of renewable energy as a share of the total grid is significantly higher here than in the US and it's one of the, it's it's, it's a le- we are a leading country on that front. But we don't make this stuff. We don't build the wind turbines. We import them and we install them. Um, you know we are not this, we do not have this large domestic green industry. So when 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 we're talking about subsidies, um, there are potentially some subsidies coming through for the steel industry to help them decarbonise. So there'll be these target. I think there are going to be these targeted subsidies. There has been, you know, there was the CFD scheme, the contract for difference scheme, which was what was a subsidy scheme for the um, for the wind industry, which started um, back in 2010. So we have provided subsidies, and there will be sort of targeted subsidies. But we don't have a large enough green industry to to really hammer uh the you know to hit hit go big on big subsidies the way that the EU and the US are doing because they are building they they've got much more manufacturing bigger industrial green industrial base than we have so what was today about what was
1: what was what was he trying to do today was this about lowering expectations rather than raising them
5: yeah i think you know He's just had this bad news from the from the fiscal watchdog. Um, March the fifteenth budget is coming along. Everybody is expecting a big corporation tax relief. You know, the businesses are calling for that. They're crying out for something because on on uh, in April our corporation tax is going from nineteen to to twenty five percent. And we and the super deduction, which was big investment relief, which has been in place for a couple of years, is going to be removed. And so you're going to have this huge increase in tax. It's twelve billion pounds a year increase in tax on the business in the business sector. So you know everyone is hoping for. something. Something. and what he said today was you know i haven't got any money mate i'm gonna uh if i had some that would be the first thing i'd do i would give you businesses some uh some tax breaks so that we can drive this productivity thing so you know i think he's saying kind of just just jump in now and when when we get that bit of growth you know we're going to give you the tax cuts but uh, it was it, he was it felt like he was teeing us up for a for a, for a budget which isn't going isn't going to be awfully encouraging.
0: Right, which is going to bum everybody out. And to your exact point. <laughs> so you're going to see tax increases. There're also the windfall tax scenario on the big energy guys. So if there's not going to be the kind of subsidies or tax breaks, then it's going to be on the likes of like a Shell and BP that are going to have to spend a lot of money to help this energy transition happen. How do they do that if they're subject to windfall taxes and tax increases?
5: So, so this is where he kind of lurches back into. This is the Brexit advantage that we have. These kind of the Brexit freedoms give us a chance to deregulate certain certain things, which make it easier to do business. But also, uh, you know, we're changing rules in uh, in capital markets so that you can solvency two rules, so that you can get more capital invested into um, big infrastructure. So um, that's where he would, you know, he would say. The private sector is going to come to the rescue because we haven't got any money. The ABI has come up with this. The Association for British Insurers has come up with this number of 100 billion pounds of um, potential capital that will be released as a result of these these changes. Of course, he's he's saying this is Brexit freedoms. The Europeans are doing the same thing anyway, sort of same sort of deregulatory stuff anyway. So it's not really a Brexit freedom, but um, you, know, you can pitch it. You can pitch it as such. But that's where you haven't got the public money so you know he's hoping we're going to leverage in a bit more of private capital to to get this transition underway isn't he setting himself up for a fall when he talks about the UK becoming a silicon valley I, th-
0: is there a time frame for that <laughs> well no in, in some ways
1: in some ways the UK already is um the problem is though that i think he's pitching it in the wrong way the, the UK has a huge life sciences advantage the UK does do certain things very very well but that already exists I, so i'm wondering what the the language he's using here and what he's expecting to come from it
5: so so the example which the government has is trotted out quite a few times now is that we are the third only the third um country which has a trillion dollar tech industry the chinese and the americans u.s have have got um yeah. that but we and we have as well so so we are you know he, he's got grounds to say that we could be a silicon valley. We certainly have got, you know, our skills in science. Uh we've we've, you know, deepmind, massive ai um uh, company yep. which which has grown here. Um so there are you you could definitely point to um a sort of ecosystem uh which which definitely supports that kind of tech uh tech boom. The problem we've always had in the UK is that we don't we go from startup to scale up to you know to to unicorn. The whole, and then and then it's sold basically so then what happens and we and and you speak to people and it's you know the the vc guys just want to cash in when they get their 10x or um or do they or do we have a cultural problem in the uk where you just don't want to become as prominent Mm -hmm. as bill gates or as 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 mark zuckerberg or elon musk or anything so we you know that's why we don't really kind of create a silicon valley something stops stops us from yep. from holding on to the to the big companies, they get eaten but, up by Google or someone.
0: So I could also make the argument. Bear with me here. That like there is enough of the pie to go around. Like the energy transition is going to be big enough that like there's going to be room for all the main players to play. So if that's the case, is there a first mover advantage that the UK is losing out on, or like is everything going to be okay just in like a couple years? <laughs>
5: uh, for, on the subsidy stuff.
0: Just in general, in terms of attracting the capital, attracting the talent, attracting the companies.
5: Um. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if we don't attract the talent, uh, then that that's going to show up a few years. But, but down meaning, like,
0: do they have to do that right now? I
5: think I think with the, um, I, th- I mean, I think the, the the way they're playing playing it with the energy t- transition is that they is that they they believe that if you if you get these huge technological advice we can do some sort of ground. Uh, groundwork on research and development, of develop some new technologies here, but and then then others like in America can just roll it out on an industrial scale, and we can and we can basically get the benefits of the massive capital investment mm-hmm. that they spend on green green industries over there back here, which is effectively what's been happening with Danish wind farm developers, basically yep. giving us their you know their expertise and us, us just installing it. So you could you can imagine us just thinking that that's the way around we'll go. We don't need to move first, and we certainly haven't got the deep pockets that the US and the European Union has. Yep.
1: That was made very, very clear today. Really mm-hmm. useful and interesting analysis. Philip, it's been a it's been a fascinating day in some ways. Um just to just to give us an idea of the kind of reality of the situation here in the UK. Bloomberg's Philip Aldrich, thank you very much. This is Bloomberg.
4: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good evening. You're listening to The Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Guy Johnson is over in London. Um, Let's get to Visa. I understand it's a U.S. company, but it has footprints everywhere. It has a great cross-border read. So the stock is up by 2.6%. Um, results, beat estimates, price targets uh, were lifted by a lot of analysts. Um, and a big part of what helped them was cross-border travel that really supported them. And the question really becomes, can that continue if jobs market has to roll over, if the unemployment rate has to go up? We're seeing lots of different companies lay off workers worldwide. So we were able to sit down with the CFO of Asant Prabhu about this, and we talked about where the strengths are, where the weaknesses are.
4: Cross-border business, as you know, has been in recovery ever since borders started opening. And we've seen quite a bit of recovery so far, but there's, well, there's more to come. Um, you know, it's, it's been very strong in Europe, in and out. Uh, our Europe cross-border business is well above 2019 levels. Latin America has been strong for a very long time. It stayed open uh, through most of the pandemic, and it was a favored destination because it was open with few restrictions. Um, The Middle East and Africa benefited from the FIFA World Cup and in general uh, has also stayed fairly open. Uh, Where we've had things uh, still recovering is obviously Asia. Uh, Asia was late Mm -hmm. to open. Our Asian business is still below uh, 2019 levels, both in and out. Uh, Most of Asia is now open, except China. Japan just opened, it was up almost 50 points soon after opening, and China is just beginning to open. The other area that is not quite back to 2019 levels is inbound travel to the U.S. Uh, And that we think is because the dollar was quite strong. As the dollar has weakened a bit, we've seen that pick up. So the room for recovery left in the business, and there is still recovery left, uh, is in Asia, in and out, into the U.S., and we await the the, the travel from China. China has opened, but it's going to take some time before the travel picks up. Uh, Airline capacity has to be built up, Uh, ticket prices, visas, you know, uh, and so on. So all in all, um, you know, some more to come, uh, but a lot has already, um, you know, happened.
1: Vassan, as you highlighted, good morning. It's Guy. As you highlighted, a lot of the pickup you've seen in Europe has been driven by Americans using that strong dollar to travel and enjoy European attractions. As that reverses, is this, basically, is this a zero-sum game? As the dollar loses ground and Europeans start to go over to the United States, do you lose out the, commensurate, the, the, the same amount of, uh, of Americans going to Europe? I, does one cancel the other out?
4: Well, we think there's a, a ton of pent-up demand, and you've probably heard that from the airlines. Uh, In fact, there's more demand than there's airline capacity in some cases on some of these routes. Um, And yes, Europe has been a big beneficiary, not just from U.S. travel, but we've seen travel from other parts of the world go to Europe, perhaps because the U.S. was also, um, you know, expensive. Uh, Yes, there will be some shifts, but we think the the demand is so high and there's so much pent-up demand from many years of people postponing travel, mm-hmm. That at least for the foreseeable future, we don't think it's a zero-sum game. You know, We are anticipating the cross-border business continuing to recover through this year. It's still got some room to recover before it gets back to what you might call the pre-COVID trend line. Yeah. So we do think uh, there's, there's room for all of it.
0: So Vasan, to that point, we're getting a lot of layoffs in different sectors. It was tech, banks, now industrials, now we get Hasbro today, et cetera. And I know this is a US-focused question, but do you still feel that pent-up demand can continue if we keep getting layoffs, if uh, the hard data that's kinda, that starts to roll over? What's your visibility?
4: Well, uh, you know, we've been very clear that we are not economic forecasters. We've stayed out of, of the course. economic forecasting business. Uh, we'll leave that to yeah. the economists. And nor is our business a leading indicator because we see spending as it happens. You know, I don't know if you don't feel good about the future and will not spend something two weeks from now. I only know when you do it. Uh, so I want to be careful to say the consumer has been very resilient all year. In the US, consumer spending is up 45, 46% over 2019, which is a pre-COVID trend line. And that's been true the entire year in 2022, and it hasn't changed yet. Uh, That's what we can speak to as to what might happen. You know, we leave that to others. Um, You know, we can tell you that the consumer remains remarkably stable in their spending at this point.
1: Yep. You're in San Francisco. As Alex says, tech is laying people off. What about you guys? Do you feel any need at this point in time to protect the middle of the P&L, to protect the margin story? Are you confident that you have the right setup right now? Is there the opportunity to hire more uh, as others lay off? How are you thinking about your staffing needs?
4: Well, we've been fairly, very disciplined, I'd like to say, through the pandemic. We didn't get carried away. Uh, You know, we've had a steady... Increase in investment in our business. You know, ours is a long cycle business. You have to invest today if you want revenues in the future. You know, we didn't get, we didn't go overboard. You know, we didn't, you know, we didn't overhire. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, our headcount is up, our investments are up, but not, uh, and we've started to moderate that. I don't expect us to cut back uh, in terms of having layoffs. We'll wait and see what the recession is like, if there is one. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what we might do is moderate the level of spending, which we're already doing. Uh, And we've also planned some changes we would make in the level of investment in our business. We will continue to invest, but we might moderate it. We might postpone some things. We might decide to deprioritize some things. I doubt we would have any layoffs. Mm -hmm. What we might do is, you know, moderate the rate of increase.
0: Okay, so you have some levers on that to pull. Um, At the same time, U.S. banks are trying to really increase their exposure to Zelle's parent company. Um, Talk to me about how you retain market share in that environment. Are you worried you're going to be losing some customers there?
4: Well, we'll keep doing what we've always done, which is deliver the most frictionless experience when it comes to paying digitally, make it very secure, very reliable, offer a variety of services around it where you can get your money back make the security and fraud levels as low as we can make them. Uh, And as long as we can do that, you know, we think we become the preferred method that people use. Uh, We have a brand people trust. We've been around a very long time. People have come to believe that we never let them down, whether it's reliability or security or fraud or dispute resolution. Uh, And that's how you win this game. You win it on the merits. You win it on the capabilities you offer. You win it on being a superior service.
0: That was Vasan Prabhu, uh, CFO and chairman of Visa, vice chairman, I should say, of Visa. Um, Okay, we're going to continue the conversation with earnings and also the economic data that we got today and how it places the Fed in a pretty good position going into next week. This is Bloomberg.
4: This is the cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good evening, this is the cable D&P Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Guy Johnson is over in London. All right, check in here on US markets. SP is up three tenths of one percent, the NASDAQ up eight tenths. A big part of that's Tesla, which is up basically twenty percent in just two days after earnings. And you also have Amex, the outperformer, after a really solid 2023 outlook. I do want to point out, just because it's me. Chevron stock is off 5%. This is a big move. For a company that just announced a $75 billion buyback. Um, yes, their profits were disappointing, even though they still made a ton of money. And a big part of that is downstream. And they said some really interesting things on the call about having to like, dig a little deeper to get oil out of the Permian, and that what they had already done is a little bit dried up. And that I think is really interesting when it comes to the overall oil and production landscape. How much more oil is really out there? Are we can about, talk about peak oil again that would be really fun. Um okay, that that's wow. that's my two cents here. Guys trying not to breathe Full deep asleep. inside. And fall. Oh, ha ha. The amount of times I hear about jet engines. All right, let's get Charlie Pellett here. All
2: right. Thank you very much, Alex Steele. Here's what's going on. Chancellor of the Exchequer, Jeremy Hunt, is dismissing calls for tax cuts and pushing back against green energy subsidies, warning that, quote, sound money must come first, as he argued that Brexit will drive U.S., uh, U.K. economic growth. And in an interview with Bloomberg Television, Hunt said, quote, at the moment, we don't have the headroom for major cuts. He was speaking at Bloomberg's European headquarters in London, where he made it clear that fiscal constraints will make it hard to find space for business tax cuts to boost investment in the upcoming budget on March 15th. Super dry shares, super big losses today, plunging 17 percent after the fashion retailer cut its profit outlook for the year, blaming its underperforming wholesale business and warning of potential consumer weakness in the months ahead. The British retail Taylor is known for its logo t-shirts and bright colors. Norway is maintaining its right to cut power exports, but only if there's a real shortage of electricity at home. The government today presented its highly anticipated plan to control exports during a supply crisis. Germany and the Netherlands rely on electricity from the Nordic nation, which is sometimes re- sometimes referred to as Europe's green battery because of its vast and cheap hydro resources. And by the way, about 10% of the UK's electricity demand is also met by Norway. That is the latest from the News Desk. Alex Steele, back to you now here in New York.
0: All right, Charlie, thank you so much. Um, so the other big news of the day, we we're all waiting for the core PCE. It was going to be super exciting. It wasn't terribly exciting, but it was interesting. Can, that, can both those things be true? Um, personal income up by two-tenths of 1%, so still growing. Personal spending down two-tenths of 1%. Saving rate moves its way higher. Um, the PCE core deflator, which is what the Fed looks at, uh, core month on month is up three tenths, year on year, 4.4%. That is lower on uh, a year on year basis from the month before. So these feel like relatively good signs. Um, in the UMISH, the final read for January, you had longer term inflation expectations lower and one year inflation expectations lower. Let's make sense of all of this. Michael McKee, Bloomberg International Economics and Policy Correspondent, uh, joins us now. Your read on the Data Dump.
6: You're making me sit up here. I, I was sitting in Charlie Pellet's chair accidentally <laughs> here, and and the back goes way back. I was. Oh,
0: oh, take d- a nap. does it? Yeah. Well, yeah. he just really chills. Yeah. It, it, it starting with this does this mean that the data was actually really boring you don't want to talk about it that's
6: okay <laughs> no. uh, the data wasn't exciting and that is exactly kind of what the Fed wants to see they want to see the economy slowing they want to see inflation coming down and basically that's what we got uh, personal incomes the headline number as you mentioned was uh, up by two tenths of a percent but the big news was in the wages and salaries part because it grew only three-tenths of a percent and November grew only three tenths of a percent. November and prior months had been in the five to six tenths range. So it does show that some of the wage pressures the Fed has been worrying about uh, in terms of inflation may be starting to slow. Now, the personal spending stuff wasn't as good a news because what we saw in the fourth quarter was strong spending in October, but then a drop in spending in both November and December. And then uh, we saw the savings rate go up in October, November, and December. So maybe Americans were pulling back and a, a little concerned about what might be happening with the economy. Of course, a lot of news about the possibility of recession and the Fed raising rates and all. So yeah. uh, the question now becomes, do they continue with that?
1: Is this America talking itself into a recession?
6: Well, you know, that's an interesting question that I have uh, put to people before, um, Back when George W. Bush came to office and and we were going through the dot-com bubble uh, burst, he came to office uh, immediately wanting to do stimulus and saying, we're going into recession, we're going into – well, we did. Now, did we talk ourselves into it? That's an interesting question. Can you do that? The good news today, guys, is that we got the Michigan numbers, the um, expectations numbers, the overall numbers – suggested that Americans feel better about the, their situation. I mean, it's not uh, mm-hmm. great yet, but uh, the direction is uh, changed and is feeling and are feeling better. So maybe um, if we can get through the next couple of months without disaster, uh, well, then people will feel.
0: To that point, though, and you made this on TV. If let's use me as a test case, and l- literally as a test case, I'm saving. I'm not spending. Legit. So if all of a sudden I wind up feeling better in the next few months do I start spending again? And that's gonna lead to, say, more inflationary pressures. Like, in a weird way, does me saving more mean something bad?
1: Uh, Can I just (laughs) caveat this as well? Is spending less saving more?
6: Well, there's For me it is, I swear. There's an old logical theory about tragedy of the commons uh, yeah. everything that makes sense for an individual doesn't necessarily make sense for the society as a whole. Yeah. So uh, it makes a lot of sense for Alex to stop spending. Thank you. I with you, but anyway. <laughs> is, is it good for America that Alex stops spending and everybody else too? No, I mean, it would not be good if everybody cut back at once and stopped spending. And that looks to a certain extent like what happened in November and December. Now, was part of that because people are were, were having trouble with inflation. And, of course, back in November, we were still seeing gas prices really high. So as inflation comes down, do people feel better about the economy? As we get uh, into 2023, is it the kind of turnover, new leaf, new year situation? And are people going to feel better? And then if they start spending again, I don't think uh, we're in a position To have blowout spending again, people could go back to spending. But the cash cushions that uh, people had from their stimulus checks have been worked down quite a bit. And we also saw the savings rate rise, but not to a high level. It's, uh, you know,
0: just... Hey, man, it takes a while. She says defensively. <laughs> if if you keep
6: going with that. But if if people still uh you know if people yeah. don't save much more it requires but grit
1: to do that though doesn't it? That's it requires true. real kind of perseverance and determination. Yeah, well, we know who has that.
0: So. I really yeah. don't. We're going to see how long I make it. Hey, it's been a month. I'm going to celebrate my It, it is I January
1: the 27th. Yes. I I January you you the do 27th. not
0: understand the sales that are happening right now. This is so. This is so. Yes, it's been four weeks. People are
1: selling stuff that people don't want. People That's are trying not to sell at all stuff true. To, I it, want the it, things.
0: I absolutely want the things. So w- these last four weeks is really like twelve weeks if you look at it from like a sales perspective. <laughs> this is perspective.
6: Alex's version of dry
1: January.
0: It's so true. <laughs> no, it is.
1: It is. This. Yeah. Yeah. Go drink your way through it.
0: It's a hundred percent right. <laughs> that means that the first. I'm going to go cry. Well,
6: uh, the uh, the President of the United States <clears throat> would like you to start spending
1: again at some point. So, it's your patriotic yeah. duty. That's, that's got to It's your patriotic duty. to. Get,
0: yeah.
1: Don't encourage her.
0: It's true. He's like <laughs> tempting me. He's looking at me like, haha. Ha, you can do this. Um, Mike, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Bloomberg's Michael McKee joining us there. Um, okay, coming up, let's talk more oil. Are you excited, Guy? Can please, I get you excited about we, Chevron? Yes, can I make please. it happen?
1: I like that having to deal, dig deep deeper, I think, is interesting.
4: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good evening. you listen to Cable, Bloomberg DV Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Guy Johnson over in London. Um, just to make Guy's day, we're going to talk more about oil and hope he doesn't fall asleep. So Chevron, shares are up by as much as 5%. Uh, we haven't seen this kind of slide since September of 2022. Profit disappointed had a huge buyback but guy it's some of the commentary that I want to get to so they're talking about the permians for example and they say they do have plans for deeper permian drilling this is according to the cfo in addition to that they also say they want to reoptimize permian development plans we don't know what that means. And that they see lower growth in the Permian due to duck exhaustion and rig moves. Duck exhaustion is the drilled but uncompleted wells. So you do some of the hard work, but you wait to finish it off and pump the oil. That's exhausted now. I find that to be really Sorry, interesting. Sorry, just explain commentary. that. So that
1: means that, that you, they can't do that anymore.
0: Yeah, so there were a lot of uh, wells that were drilled but not finished so over the last gone. few years, particularly during the pandemic, and a lot of what they were able to do they all oil producers, were able to do recently to step up supply, was to finish them. That's done now, so there is it's none the, of the, that inventory.
1: America has become the like Saudi Arabia as a result of fracking, and mm-hmm. the Permian is at the center of that narrative. Have we gone past peak Permian?
0: Yeah, you know, genuinely, I I don't think we know yet. So the first thing to know, you never, ever count the wildcatters out because they have come back time and time again. So they will find new ways of doing stuff. However, if you have the good acres, you've probably done a lot of the drilling that you can do. And there's already so many different ways that you can get oil out of the ground. How many more ways can you find? Like we've done it where you have super long wells down, and then super long pipes out, so horizontal, you've done that, okay? The farther you went, so you created some problems, so you couldn't do it anymore. You can, but just not as far as you might have thought. We're already pumping other stuff into the ground to get more oil out. How many more things can you pump in to get it out? I So I wonder what, quote, re-optimizing is and what that actually looks like.
1: If these guys, I, th- their valuation is based on the Permian. Like Chevron probably more so than, than any other company – well, more so than any of the other kind of big companies. If they've got a problem – like the stock's trading at 178, and oil prices are probably going to go higher. So you would assume some upside on that. But it's based on it's based on the kind of the Permian I, I've – I've yet to hear people talking about the Permian being an exhausted story. Yeah. This is kind of the first time I'm beginning to hear this. If that's the case, that's
0: huge. But – let's not forget like we don't want to oversell that point because like i said there's a lot of innovation that has still been out there um i would make the argument that with chevron they do have a lot of other assets particularly when it comes to lng um exxon's similar thing like exxon's thing is going to be off the coast of brazil in guyana like that's going to be their big deep water bet and um that's expensive
1: deep water is expensive risky tricky troublesome yeah. The whole idea of the Permian was that it was fairly straightforward.
0: Yes, true. Um but the international and the deep water, like that that's where the money's going. Like if you go through any of the oil services companies calls, that's where all the money is flowing into. It's um, oil
1: cheap is oil cheaper on the stock market than in the ground?
0: Is oil cheaper on the I have no idea.
1: What we're we like talking about. I can you go out and buy but- a company more cheaply than drilling for it? I. Can you buy somebody else's reserves more cheaply than then you can go out and find new ones
0: you know we were kind of talking about that with paul sankey of sankey research he's been covering oil companies sarcastically for many 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 years and i asked him about that and and his idea for for chevron was a bit different because they have uh, legacy leases in the permian where they don't pay anything for for the land so anything that they buy would be a little dilutive but yes the answer is yes. Like, at some point, they're going to have to. Um, some outsized calls are like, why don't you go buy some of the oil majors in uh, Europe that have diversified in a much different way? I just don't know if value, like, when? why would you do that? Like, why would you go and buy BP if BP is like going into wind and solar and batteries? Like, why would you do that? I don't know. Well, you're really not get buying it.
1: an oil company, I think, is the point you're making.
0: Yeah, but which? how do you not overpay for that at this moment is the problem. They're super disciplined, Chevron is, about how to pay for stuff. Um, Such
1: an interesting area, honestly.
0: Really? Are you, are you messing with me? Of course I am. Ah. We're going to hear a lot about planes next week. Let me just let me just tell, ya, let Very let me just tell you. Very exciting.
1: Very <laughs> exciting.
0: This is Bloomberg.
4: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
1: Good evening, welcome back. You're listening to The Cable. We are live on DAB Digital Radio. Intel is down. Intel is currently down by around 8%. It fell 10% at the open. That was the biggest move for the stock uh, that we've seen since July. Um, This after what? one analyst described as an astonishingly bad set of results actually it was the forecast it was the forward looking statement it was the outlook that caused the most consternation uh, after intel revealed its numbers uh, and the stock has been the stock has been punished i think is one way of putting it um where are we in the intel journey remember this is a business that is going through something of a of a shift, of a change in terms of what it does and where it does it. Mandeep Singh covers the stock for us at Bloomberg Intelligence and joins us now. Mandeep, is this a reasonable reaction to what Intel has told us?
7: Absolutely. I think whenever you see such a big gross margin degradation, you know, Intel already had a lot of issues going on with regards to the you know, the chips that they were making and the demand for those chips. But the fact that gross margin outlook is 39% when last year it was 60%. I mean, clearly there is something wrong with the business. And we know Intel has very high fixed costs because that's what it takes to manufacture your chips. I mean, even TSMC has very high fixed costs. The difference is TSMC has a lot of demand when it comes to the chips that they are making, whereas Intel... Uh, I mean, it's an incumbent player when it comes to the PCs and the server chips. But uh, uh, the market is sort of moving away from them, and I think that is something that needed to be addressed. But obviously, it's a multi-year journey, as uh, Pat described it when he took the
0: helm. Is this good news for other chip guys?
7: I think uh, there are puts and takes here. One, I do think PCs are almost the earliest in terms of, you know, Uh, kind of looking at a downside sort of scenario for the chip makers and uh, there is a reason for that i mean it's uh, dependent on refresh cycle and what you're seeing is pc refresh cycle was pulled forward after the pandemic and now you are seeing a bloated inventory situation what could happen down the line is the same thing could happen for servers and data centers and we know Uh, You know, hyperscalers have been very aggressively spending on building data centers. In fact, Microsoft said they are still increasing their CapEx for next year. So that demand is still resilient, the server uh, chip demand. And same thing we have seen on the auto side. But there will be a time. I do think, you know, that uh, we will have excess capacity across the board in different industries. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think PCs are probably leading that. And, And so... I do think second half, you will see some sort of a negative revision for companies that are more exposed to auto chips or you know, even servers and data center chips.
1: Intel, obviously, has been a major feature of the landscape this week when it comes to the corporate reporting season. What are you looking for next week?
7: Well, so next week we have all the digital ad companies, Meta, Alphabet, uh, Snapchat, their reporting results. And Apple, I mean, I, I mentioned about... Autos and data centers Well, we've seen a similar volume decline on the handset side as well and if intel's earnings were bad guess what apple uh, i think are going to be pretty negative in terms of the volume side they may make up on the content because Hmm. their pro phone is obviously a higher price phone so the asps may hold up Uh, but uh, you will see similar volume decline and on the digital ad side look we've seen a significant ad pricing compression when it comes to the digital ad companies because uh, of the slowdown in economy and the first thing to cut was ad spend now what you want to see uh, given there has been de-risking of the estimates uh, for all these companies is a stabilization in ad pricing if that happens i think it's good uh, because uh, you know the stocks will anticipate uh, a second half rebound, but if if there is more ad pricing compression, mm-hmm. that's where uh, I think uh, it's hard to predict when that bottom will be uh, for these companies.
0: Amazingly, Meta is off the lows that we saw back in November. Um, I I fail to see quite a lot th- off the lows. Yeah but you just look at the chart over the last year and like where it was in the beginning of February, it still looks really painful. And I just wonder sort of where the good news might be for this. That's a nice way of me asking it. Where's the good news going to (laughs) be?
7: Well, so good news could be uh, adoption of Reels and time spent on Reels versus TikTok. They are trying to narrow that gap in terms of engagement and for all the social media names. Ultimately, it's all driven by engagement. If they are able to keep the engagement, ad spending will follow. And so for Meta, it's all about wheels catching up to TikTok. WhatsApp could be a bright spot. They've been focused on monetizing. They've started to give a, uh, some numbers around the click-to-add messaging uh, a run rate, and that actually yep. has been a bright spot. So I think those are the two things to call out for Meta.
1: Mandeep, is is Meta a, basically just a play on TikTok being banned or heavily restricted in the United States?
7: That will be a near-term catalyst for sure, Guy. But uh, at the same time, uh, I think Meta has uh, like a lot going on with its VR investments and the fact that they're losing almost $12 billion on Reality Labs. When you have a company like Roblox, which is, I think, the closest competitor to what Meta is trying to do on the Reality lab side, And they are not losing as much as Meta is. So it makes you wonder, what are they spending on, and how long can investors bear that sort of uh, investment coming from a company of the scale of Meta?
0: Quick question, just to circle back to Intel before we let you go. Intel, dividend at risk?
7: I don't think so. I mean, it really has to be a catastrophic second half for me to think uh, they're going to cut the dividend. So. Look, at the end of the day, PCs are cyclical. I do expect a rebound once the inventory clears out. And if they catch up on the process notes, they have a lot of levers to cut costs before they have to cut dividends. So I I do think uh, they're going to, like they already extended the life cycle of their equipment. That's going to save them on depreciation costs. They're doing Mm -hmm. more cost cutting. So all that has to happen before a dividend is cut. All right. Good
1: stuff, Mandeep. Thank you very much. That wraps things up for Alex and for me. Have a great weekend, everybody.
0: Wait, but um, more importantly, I will see you, Guy, in person, in the studio next week.
1: That's very exciting. This is going to be very go, exciting. I don't know if he's going to stay awake for first. it, but it'll be exciting. Boeing is delivering its last ever 747, commercial 747 next week. Quite excited about that. We'll talk about that next week. This is Bloomberg.